This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. That's right. It's NFL Friday. It's week nine, and we are going to get right into things. It's Tommy Aldrich. I'm joined with Matt Constantini. We got Jimmy Sullivan to my right. Jackson Hiles, our fantasy guy for the day. And in the studio is Emmanuel Barberi. Guys, it was a just crazy week yeah. in the NFL. Probably one of the best trade deadlines in NFL history, honestly. We got Jets on Thursday Night Football. We're going to get to them right after this. We're going to start, we're going to have a sort of general news segment. A lot to talk about. Deshaun Watson goes down with an ACL. We find out Lux out for the year. And then there's, of course, all the trades. Guys, what was... I mean, let's let's talk about Deshaun Watson real quick, because that just happened yesterday, and that was just devastating. That was just absolutely heartbreaking for him. I, I feel so bad, personally, because, like, he had to wait his turn to start in Houston, even though it was obvious he should have been starting there from the get-go. He's playing just out of his mind, putting up video game numbers, and he's actually making Houston look in, like this very good team, even without J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless on the defensive side of the ball. And then it's all just taken away in a freak non-contact injury out of practice. And you really just have to feel so bad for him. Yeah, and for Houston going forward now, they have to look at it is, do we want Tom Savage as their starting quarterback for the rest of the way? Because they're still trying to make the playoffs. They're only a game back in the AFC South. Do we want Tom Savage to be our quarterback the rest of the way? And he was horrible and a half of football for the first half of the Jaguars game, which is their first game of the year. It's a terrible blow for the Texans, and like you said, you just feel so bad for Deshaun Watson because he was playing almost, I would say, at an MVP level. That's how good he was to start the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, just it was a good point of you saying, where do they go from here? Because it's, you know, with all the injuries, J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless. We talked about those guys on defense, but the one thing sort of providing hope was this kid, Deshaun Watson, who is this prodigy in college, you know, he does all sorts of tremendous things in the community. We all know he donated his game checks to members of the Texans facility who lost their homes in a hurricane. And it's like there was just so much positivity in a sort of negative NFL season. And he goes down with, you know, the bane of the NFL existence in ACL. But, I mean, how does Houston go forward? How can they even pretend like, it's not all completely different? It's really tough because he just made that offense so much better. Lamar Miller looked great. When, which he hadn't either last year and in the first half of football this year, like Jamie mentioned. That's a good point. Yeah. his And that could be because of the passing game. It absolutely was. It took some pressure off the run game. It made them a less one-dimensional offense. And it really made the wide receivers better. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins looked like a shell of himself last season when he had an average quarterback throwing to him. Will Fuller is averaging a touchdown a game now out of nowhere. And this offense is just gonna go downhill yeah so just just brutal for the rookie quarterback who I think you know you saw the way the whole league reacted yesterday just I think everybody was devastated not anyone uh, not feeling badly for the kid but another quarterback who you know had similar hype as a rookie Andrew Luck I mean is he now the international man of mystery with this shoulder do we have any idea what's going on yeah and I mean he suffered the injury two years ago (sighs) and the and the Colts I mean, we haven't heard a straight answer from them since then as to how bad it was. And then he has the surgery in January. And, 
he doesn't practice, he doesn't do anything, they put him on the pup list, and now everybody's starting to get concerned, and they make the trade for Brissett, and Brissett's actually been pretty good, like, as a fill-in. Like, he's a guy that they've been able to at least be competent with, if not very good. But for Luck, I mean, he hasn't been healthy for two years, and, and the Colts and the way they have handled this just hasn't helped things at all. And for them, they they need him to get back next year because I still haven't heard anything as to how he's going to heal from this and what's the plan. So the Colts, this is not like they're out of the woods or anything. They need they need to get him back next year or else this franchise is in big, big trouble. The front office has handled him so poorly. I mean, it's almost it's, it's just so bad that – they even thought he could play this year. If you thought that he was going to be fine, you would have just had him play like normal. He would have gone through training camp. He may not have been healthy, so you'd probably hold him out. I think putting him on the pup list was the good was the right idea for him. But even then, like if you know he's not going to be healthy for the season midway through it, just put him on IR, have him stop playing altogether, and just get healthy. Because now he's out for the rest of this season, and who knows how much longer next season. They are putting this kid's career in jeopardy, which is so bad of them. They are handling him in the worst way possible. And it's such a shame because he was so good when he was healthy. I mean, he really was. The 2012, 2013, 2014, those years they went to the playoffs, he took them to the AFC Championship game. I mean, he beat Peyton Manning in Denver. And they haven't put anyone around him to let him succeed. They've put a subpar offensive line in front of him and just have just let him get killed his entire stint there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a good point. When you talk about big prospects, none bigger than the quarterback position. And Andrew Luck, the reason, I mean, he was that, you know, Jadevian Clowney comes to mind, but then I'd say after Clowney, in my opinion, the biggest prospect coming out of college was really Luck. And then, as you mentioned, Jimmy, we saw what he did early on in his career. He had that playoff game against the Chiefs, I remember. He yeah. was leading them back from a crazy comeback. But, I mean, you know, it's almost like there's more to talk about with the Deshaun Watson injury because it's just so much more relevant because, man, we haven't seen luck in so long and we just really you don't even know what to expect. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't want to – you hate to compare people, but these quarterbacks in the draft classes have sort of come in pairs with Jameis Winston and Mariota and, and really RG3 and Luck, and there's another pair that I'm forgetting, but, but all of a sudden Luck and – well, RG3 aren't looking so good. No. Yeah, and then you had Wentz and Goff last and year. And then, of course, Wentz and Goff. Who both have been playing really, really well. Very interesting conversation to compare all these quarterbacks. I mean, right now, Winston and Mariota is looking like the most, po- like the best one for longevity. The most sake. complete package right now. Most competent as well. Yeah, yeah I, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so, speaking of Carson Wentz, I mean, the trade deadline occurs, and, and for me, none bigger than this Jay Ajayi move. That is crazy to me. I mean, that is just a monumental trade, in my opinion, because you just look at the Eagles' offense and how good they were playing, and you add Jay Ajayi, and here's my take on Jay Ajayi. I want to hear what you guys think. He may have not been playing great in Miami. Clearly, they were the 32nd offense. Not good. But in terms of the – I talk about this a lot. The eye test, 24-year-old running back, not many people run harder, faster, stronger than Jay Ajayi. In my opinion – He's like a top six, top seven back in terms of just talent and running the ball. So put him in the right position, and I'm scared of the Philly offense. I might be a little biased here because I don't hate a team more than I hate the Philadelphia Eagles. But <laughs> you have to you have to wonder why the Miami Dolphins gave up on who you said a 24 year old running back so early on in his career for a fourth round pick, no less. That doesn't seem like adequate compensation for a guy that is at that talent level. 
and I've been reading reports out of this these last couple of days that were saying that Ajayi has been having to sit out of practices recently and just throughout his career because of his knee problems and people within the Dolphins organization themselves have been wondering how much longer he actually has because apparently, to quote-unquote, there's nothing left in his knees. So that's very interesting to, to see. So, and then going to an Eagles pros- to perspective, yes, he is an upgrade over who they had. You were getting at it, nothing out of LeGarrette Blunt. Granted, they weren't exactly using him properly. He wasn't getting those... Similar players, though. It's going to yeah. be a scary one-two punch. Yeah, they are very similar, similar excuse me, players. But... He will exponentially help that offense. They were getting zero production from the running back position, and it'll really just off open that offense up even more. Yeah, and I love this trade for Philly. And you were talking about the eye test, but it's not actually just the eye test with the Jai. I tweeted this out a couple days ago, a shameless plug, but there are the top five... <laughs> Quick, run- give the handle. No, i no, uh, <laughs> There are uh, top five running backs in rushing yards since last year. Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, LaShawn McCoy, Jordan Howard, and Jay Ajayi. That's that's a fantastic get for the Eagles, especially at the price. They only gave up, what was it, a fourth-round pick to get him? So, I mean, that's fantastic for the Eagles. They've got this sort of thunder and lightning punch, kind of like what the Giants had in the early 2000s. But they've got Blunt down on the goal line, short yardage situations, and then they've got Ajayi who just completely can open up that offense for Carson Wentz. Yeah, I think there's another statistic, too. I think Blunt and... Uh... And Ajayi lead the league in yards after contact, which makes, you know, wouldn't surprise anybody that those guys would be maybe the two guys who break the most tackles. But, you know, yeah, it's going to open up the offense. That's how I see it. It was a passing attack with very capable downfield receivers and a very capable quarterback. And now they have a very intimidating threat at the running position. So who knows? But I want to ask you guys, between some of the other trades, any of them stand out to you? Kelvin Benjamin, Marcel Darius? Yeah, I kind of like the uh, Kelvin Benjamin deal for Buffalo. This is a team, they ran a uh, stat last night, before last night's game, 45 catches from Bills receivers in seven games, which is not very good. Yikes. This is this is an offense that obviously relies on running game, tight ends, Tyrod Taylor, just don't turn the ball over. And for them to get a big play wide receiver like this, this is going to open it up for other guys too. Zay Jones had a really good game last night for Buffalo. I think he could be a really good receiver for them. Kelvin Benjamin is that big play target. He can help them out in the red zone. He can go deep down the field. He was great for Cam Newton. I'm not sure why the Panthers did this now, honestly, but I think for Buffalo it's an outstanding get. See, I'm going to take the other side of that, and I don't know why Buffalo did this because you were mentioning another trade they made. They traded away Marcel Darius, and granted, it may have been to shave some of that cap and save some money, but if you're making a play for a big-name receiver that'll help your offense, why are you getting rid of one of the best players on your defense? If you're trying to make a playoff run, you need all the talent you can have, and shipping one out and just bringing another in is kind of counterintuitive, because, yeah, you upgrade your offense, but now your defense is lacking. So that was kind of strange to me. I did like the move that Seattle made to get Dwayne Brown. They've been desperate for offensive line help for years now, and they finally have just this rock on the offensive line that'll really help open up the running game. It'll give Russell Wilson some time to throw in the pocket, and it'll get allow him to get out of the pocket more. So, But yeah, like I mentioned at the top of the show, this was probably the most active trade deadline I can ever remember in the NFL. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. There's so much to talk about. There still is, but we, we got to move on to the Thursday night football game last night. I'll just quickly add my two cents on the Benjamin trade. I think it could be the missing piece that the Bills needed. They're, well, now they're 5-3. and three. We're, we're, we're going to talk about that. But they were 5-2 and two before last night, looking real good. 
And really the one thing they didn't have was that big physical edge receiver. And, and who knows what Tyrod Taylor maybe, maybe will be able to do with it. We'll have to see. But for right now, it's our first fantasy segment of the show with Jackson Heil for studs. Who are some of the safest bets in fantasy this week? Here are the players our expert thinks you must start if you're looking to win your matchup. Although it was rookie Deshaun Watson who stole the show in last week's shootout in Seattle, the real story was Russell Wilson, who accounted for 482 total yards and four scores. Despite a shaky offensive line, Wilson is the only quarterback to have eclipsed at least 26 fantasy points in four of his last five outings. Wilson and the Seahawks host a Redskins defense that has allowed 23 points or more in their last four outings while getting torched through the air in their last two road affairs. Expect another massive performance from the dual-threaded gunslinger. Ever since the Saints sent veteran tailback Adrian Peterson to Arizona, Mark Ingram has shined as the lead back in New Orleans. The former Alabama star has seen 80 touches over his past through three games, including 65 times on the ground while averaging north of 4.5 yards per carry in that time span. With the Saints' high-flying offense continuing to turn to the running attack in the red zone, Ingram's four touchdowns over his last three contests are no fluke. He gets a juicy matchup this week with a struggling Buccaneers front seven that, in PPR leagues, have seeded an average of over 25 points per game to opposing running backs, leaving the door wide open for another monster performance from the 2009 Heisman Trophy winner. At wide receiver, there are very few options in Week 9 that stack up with Dolphins' wideout Jarvis Landry. Even with trade speculation circulating in Miami, the speedster has continued to shine. He is one of only two receivers to reach the 80-target threshold this season, the other being Antonio Brown, and is on pace to catch a career-high 114 passes this year as well. The departure of J.H.I. will only benefit Landry's production, as the Finns will rely on him in even more short-yardage situations, while also utilizing his speed over the top. Landry should have a field day against a Raiders defense that allows 31 points a game to wide receivers in PPR formats. The LSU product is in for a primetime treat, no matter if Jay Cutler is under center or on the stationary bike. Some great fantasy analysis there, Jackson. And, and my goodness, the volume of carries that Mark Ingram is getting, that should be news for any fantasy player out there. Wow. And also, crazy what Jarvis Landry is able to do as a number two wide receiver and have n number one numbers. That's just wild. But right now, we're going to talk about the Jets in a positive light. How about that? I believe Matt Murphy has our report for this week. Sometimes all you need in life is a little color rush. Sporting all green uniforms in primetime on Thursday night, the Jets gave an incredibly solid effort on their home field and took down the Bills 34-21. There's been a general sentiment surrounding this team all year that they're better than people think, but it doesn't do us any good to speculate on what the Jets' record should be. After this much-needed win over Buffalo that snaps a three-game losing skid, Gang Green now sits at 4-5. A strong defensive effort and a more established running attack got it done for the Jets on the short week. The D had a season-high seven sacks and also forced three turnovers. The Jets controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball all night. Matt Forte and Bilal Powell each rushed for more than 70 yards, and Forte added two scores. The defense held Bills running back LaShawn McCoy to just 25 yards rushing. McCoy went for 110 against them back in week one. Nose tackle Steve McClendon said after the game that this past week and all weeks are must wins. 
every week to me is a must win. I don't I don't look at you know I don't look at each game like oh we can just take this one off. No, every game is a must win. While it's certainly possible for this team to have more than four wins at this point, considering the way they've blown leads this year, wins are wins and losses are losses, so it was good to see them bounce back against the Bills. There's no denying the fact that the Jets have officially outperformed expectations. There's now plenty of time to prepare for next week's game in Tampa after playing the Thursday night game. The Jets will look to take advantage on November 12th against a struggling Bucks team led by a banged up Jameis Winston under center. It's early November and the playoffs are still somewhat in sight. Covering the... I'm Matt Murphy, WFUV Sports. I mean, it's just crazy to me that the Jets are four and five. That's wild. Yeah. And they're four and five coming off of a dominant performance at MetLife Stadium last night, beating fellow uh, AFC East opponent, the Bills. 34-21, but guys, that score not really indicative of the way the game felt. Yeah, the Jets were up 34-7 with about five or six minutes to go in that game, so they had the Bills. They had the clamps down. After that one drive, I think it was the second or third Bills drive of the game where they drove downfield and scored a touchdown, that defensive line was all over the run game and all over Tyrod Taylor, and they were really able to win the physicality battle. I heard Tony Romo, who was calling the game last night, made a really good point about the Jets. Weeks two through five, they won three out of four games. They ran the ball for about 160 yards per game. The games after that, the three-game losing streak, they ran the ball for about 60 yards per game. Last night, 194 yards for this Jets offense, spearheaded, obviously, by Forte and Bilal Powell. So for the Jets, I mean, next week they've got the Buccaneers. That's a chance to win, to go to 5-5 five and five going into the bye week, and then anything can happen. This is a team that has been overachieving all year long. Todd Bowles has done a great job, I think, with this squad. And if they go 5-5 five and five into the bye, hey, you never know, right? Yeah, I, I never expected my wildest dreams that we would be talking about this year's New York Jets, led by Josh McCown, of all people, being a 500 football team going into their bye week. That yeah. That's just crazy. I mean, yeah, our, I was just going to say real quick, are we... Are we talking about the Jets making the playoffs? <laughs> I, I, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, Is that I, possible? I mean, preseason, I picked the Jets to go 0 and 16. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's but, you know, really. I mean, it, do you think it's possible that the Jets can make the playoffs? This year? I don't think so. I think that the division winners are are kind of set right now in the way that they are. I don't think that the Jets can really compete for a division title. I also think that the wild card teams are kind of yeah. Can we think of are right there now? are there good wild card teams? Yeah, I mean Jacksonville. I mean Jacksonville is looking like a yeah. wild card team, and then you can maybe, with with Tennessee on top. Tennessee, yeah, yeah. Okay, Tennessee's right. there too. And then you can maybe look at. I don't know, probably not the Broncos or the Raiders coming out of the West. So Well the Steelers maybe won. Yeah, you if, can look at yeah. the you can look at the that Steelers. Or the Bills or, even. Or the Bengals, yeah. the Bills. There's a lot of teams well, in the Jets. Either way, here we are. We're talking about it. Yeah, We're and talking I mean, yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't think so either. I'm just looking at this schedule. They've got the Buccaneers last week next week. Let's just say that they win that. So they're five and five. Their final six games. Home Carolina, home Kansas City, at Denver, at New Orleans, home Chargers, at New England to close out the season. It's those are be, tough games. Those are extremely difficult games. It's going to be very difficult for them if they have to win four or five of those games. I think it's going to be very difficult to see them make the playoffs. I don't think that you can realistically expect the level of production out of Josh McCown to stay at the level it is for the rest of the season. There has to be a regression somewhere. I mean, he's playing with what 
yeah, in theory, are second and third string wide it's receivers. It's crazy what he's doing. There, there's just no sustainability there. I mean, you look at what he's done through his career. He's been. I was talking about with this about with my roommates last night while we were watching the game. He has been a very average quarterback. Oh yeah, his yeah. entire he defines it. He defines the definition of career backup quarterback. But right now, he is showing people that he is a legitimate starting quarterback. Yeah, just a funny point on Josh McCown, my friend who is a Browns fan. We made the joke that the Browns, they would have seemed crazy doing it, but the Browns actually should have, whatever it was, four years ago, I think, they should have signed Josh McCown, like <laughs> 36 years old at that point, whatever, to a five-year deal. Yeah. And, he, and he would legitimately still be playing. He would be their best quarterback. And it would have been better than what happened with the you know carousel that it's been. Yeah. But, Jimmy, you mentioned the defensive line of the Jets. And kind of weird, Tony Romo talked about the dichotomy of them where they only came into the night with one sack from any defensive lineman. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. But Romo was trying to say that that's because of something with the edge rushers or, or something. But regardless of that, they showed up last night and were just, I mean, really the Jets at the point of attack on both sides of the ball in the trenches, offensive line and defensive line, offensively they ran the ball. And defensively, they just were crushing LaShawn McCoy and Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, Leonard Williams and Muhammad Wilkerson were giving Tyrod Taylor zero time. They just manhandled the Bills' offensive line. I mean, you're talking about an offensive line getting pushed back four or five yards to get to the quarterback and him just not having any room to use that mobility that he's so well-known for to try and escape. And he took a lot of sacks because of it. He fumbled twice, lost one. So the defensive line did its job. Yeah, and everybody's going to talk about the defensive line here, but the linebackers played really, really well. Oh, yeah, Darren Lee was back there all night. Darren Lee and Jordan Jenkins, too, got two Whoever is, sorry, this is going to be unprofessional, but whoever 48 is. Jordan Jenkins. Jordan, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him now a couple weeks. He's... He's a good player. He's been very impressive for this Jets defense. I mean, you're talking about a defense that got seven sacks. Jenkins got two. So, I mean, for them— Wow, seven is a lot. Yeah, and the thing was, too, I think with Buffalo— they're not really able to throw the ball down the field, so you can stack with Yet. seven. Yet. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, once they get Kelvin Benjamin, it'll be a little different. But you're you're still able to bring seven, eight guys into the box, and you could prioritize stopping LaShawn McCoy and stopping Tyrod Taylor on the run instead of having to, you know, if you play the Patriots, having to play too deep and man-to-man on the edges and only rush three or four. That's a really good point, and I think that maybe speaks to how important Tyrod Taylor is for the offense because if Tyrod Taylor wasn't a threat for a run, an RPO, as they say, run-pass option on pretty much every play, that one-dimensional offense would probably suffer a lot more. Because you're right, they can't get the ball down the field, so if you had an immobile quarterback, you'd be stacking the box with eight players, but there's no threat that the QB's going to run, so you know it's going to go to LaShawn, but kind of a digression. As we look at the Jets' roster, what do we think are some of the weak points where that, you know, obviously they're overperforming, so... You know, are they maybe a year or two only away from being a decent team? And if they are, where can they upgrade? For me, I'm looking at, you know, I want to say receiver, but they really have, you know, Curse is a, he's produced in this league for a while. He's a solid player. Robbie Anderson's probably their best receiver right now. I'm not going to lie. I've seen that guy at training camp. He's got the skinniest legs ever. And I saw him before he was really, like, playing really well, and I, I must say, I, I didn't give him a shot, but now he's really impressing us. Uh, so you have receivers, and I think cornerback is an obvious need. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, quarterback, we could all agree on. I mean, well, sorry, I didn't yeah. even mention that because that's <laughs> yeah. well, that's Josh is, McCown. Is, baby. Let it be known, by the way, this is the first time I've I've been on this show where the jet segment hasn't devolved to the draft. 
Yeah. Usually we're talking at this point about Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, yeah. but we're not. So let's let's not. <laughs> yeah, and and just a, another stat along that Josh McCown, if he would have thrown two touchdowns last night, would have been the first quarterback for the Jets to do that in five straight games since Joe Namath. So you know when you think about it that way, I mean, you're thinking 50 years of just more or less total incompetence at the quarterback position, save for a couple guys, obviously. I think cornerback is a big need when you have Buster Screen playing against number one wide receiver. He can't do that. I mean, if we're going to be yeah, honest. He's a third corner, in my opinion. He's he, a slot guy. Yeah, and he was good as a nickel guy Absolutely. in 2015. He was very yeah, good that and year. and I think that's his role. But when you ask him to step up to two, to the second receiver and the first receiver, disaster is going to strike. I think the safeties are good. Great. I think I think the the front seven on that defense is very good. Maybe mix around a little on the offensive line for the Jets because they have had some issues with that because they've had to re, uh, realign certain pieces this year. Right tackles sort of been in flux. But this is a Jets team that's closer than a lot of people think, especially with the way they're playing this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm not willing to say that they're one or two pieces away from being a Super Bowl team, but they're trending in that direction. I mean, we've all talked about what they need right now. I think cornerback is their biggest need. I look at someone like a Minka Fitzpatrick in this upcoming draft, depending on where they finish. He could be great at that cornerback position because they're set at safety. You also mentioned the offensive line. There's There are some very good offensive tackles and offensive guards this year that will probably be in the Jets' range of wherever they pick. Um, and, yeah, I mean, quarterback right now, who knows? Yeah, last word on the Jets. I'm just going to say watch them get Kirk Cousins last year or next year. Finally figure it all out. And then just run into this problem of are we a throwing team? Are we a running team? And then there's just going to be all this other disaster. But I'm sort of just joking around. Right now, we're going to go to our second fantasy installment, the duds section with Jackson Heil. Predicting this week's fantasy duds is just as important as picking this week's fantasy studs. Here's who our expert thinks you should sit this week. The 2017 NFL season has been a losing battle for the Denver Broncos, and star receiver Demarius Thomas has been no exception. Thomas has suffered from Trevor Simeon's brutal quarterback play as he has only caught more than six balls in a game once this season while posting just one 100-yard performance to his name. Additionally, his scoreless streak has now reached 13 games and he is no longer a deep threat at 29 years old. Even with Denver handing the starting role to Brock Osweiler in Week 9 against a stingy Eagles pass defense, it may just be time to give up on the five-time 1,000-yard pass catcher. The news of Jay Ajayi's arrival in Philadelphia may have brought joy to the faces of Eagles fans, but certainly not to that of fantasy owners. With two quality tailbacks in Ajayi and LeGarrette Blunt crowding Carson Wentz's backfield, it really is uncertain how Doug Peterson will use his two workout horse backs. Each of the two have totaled at least 100 carries this season, and the expectation is that a timeshare will commence between the two. Of the two, I prefer Blunt because of his 4.7 yards per carry this season, along with his goal line expertise but I'd steer clear of either against Denver's stout run defense until each of their respective new roles are clear. Do you really expect the Seattle Seahawks defense to get burned two weeks in a row on their home turf? Yeah, neither do I. And that's exactly why Redskins quarterback Kirk Cousins could have difficulty moving the football this week. Yes, Cousins has thrown for 11 touchdowns in his last five outings while averaging nearly 300 yards in the air, but Seattle matches up perfectly against a Washington team that lacks weapons on the outside. The secondary is still elite in Seattle, and unless the protection for Kirk is spotless, the Washington aerial attack could definitely sour up on Sunday. Wow, that, that is a hot take, I must say. Going with LeGarrett Blunt over Jay Ajayi. We'll see. I mean, listen, Blunt has been the more effective back this year by a significant amount, and Ajayi is yet to find the end zone, but 
I'm not committing to either one, especially in the first week between the two, just because I'm not exactly sure what that role is going to be. Especially because he only has a couple days with the playbook. That is that's the the main thing I'll give you. So right now we got to talk about the New York Football Giants. Not a lot of that at MetLife Stadium this season. The Giants are one and six. They got the Rams at home this Sunday. The Rams are five and two, being led by Jared Goff and Todd Gurley with his coming back to life in his third year. And I believe the Rams have the number one offense in the NFL. Yes, they do. I mean, that's just wild. This is going to be a very, very bad week for the Giants. Their injury report came out today. A slew of names. Oh, it's brutal. Huge names. You got Western Richburg out. You have Justin Pugh out on the offensive line. You have Jonathan. They're two best offensive linemen, by the (laughs) way. And we all know how great this line (laughs) is. So it's just going to get that much better on Sunday. I can't wait to see uh, how Aaron Donald just has his way with the center, whoever it's going to be. I'm just going to finish this list off for you just because it is so crazy. Then you got the guys on offense. Defensively, you're missing Janoris Jenkins because of, you know, craziness. Uh, Olivier Vernon is out for again. again, and BJ Goodson, a guy who not many people know because he's a, a second-year player, but he makes about eleven to twelve tackles a game. Very important piece. So it's just crazy how undermanned they're going to be. Is it a? Is this collusion? Are the Giants officially tanking? Is it tank season? <laughs> I mean, Jonathan Casillas' name also popped up, so ah, we'll have to see what's point. happening. Oh, yeah. But. A leader on that with, defense. With all those defensive players out, Todd Gurley's going to have his way. She's got, he might rush for 150 yards. Goff is going to have a lot of time in the pocket. You might see him actually use some of his wide receivers this, this week. Who knows? Maybe Sammy Watkins gets involved for the first time all year. The one thing I will say about this is the Rams are a West Coast team. They're coming east for a 1 o'clock game. Usually teams get off to a slow start like that. So if it's 10 nothing or 14 nothing, I'm not counting the Giants. I mean, I think the Rams are leaps and bounds better than the Giants right now because the Giants are a mess. Hold on. You're saying if the Giants get up 14, you're not counting the Rams out. No, I'm not. Well, no, I'm not counting the Giants out of this game. Oh, I should have been clearer. Okay, I, I got yeah, you. Yeah, but if the very if, valid uh, point though, because usually the West Coast teams do get the 4 p.m. Yeah, and it's going to be because it's 10 o'clock their time, so it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for them. I think after the first or second quarter, though, you're just going to see the Rams completely impose themselves. I mean, they have such a talented offense with Goff and Gurley, and that offensive line's been way better. And defensively, they've got an amazing defensive line. Aaron Donald, I think, is probably right now the best defensive lineman in football. So. They are probably going to dominate the Giants, especially on the defensive end. It'll probably be a low-scoring game, but I I literally do not envision a scenario where the Giants win unless they get off to a huge start. And I know you were talking about our last segment, how you, how the Jets talk always devolves into the draft. <laughs> I know. Well, here we, here we are, yeah, the Giants. I know. I know. I know. But before that, <laughs> though, please. No, I mean, th- tomorrow I worry, as someone who's watched the Giants for a while now, Todd Gurley having just such an incredible season. The Giants don't do well against amazing running backs, but they do decently when they can stick to running it. It's the fact that Todd Gurley can catch the ball, yeah, and it's this linebacker mismatch that he's going to have all day. And I'm talking with Jonathan Casillas and with B.J. Goodson, they would still be screwed. Yeah, I mean, the Giants but are without gonna... them, I mean, I have a feeling t- it could be Todd Gurley's day. Yeah, the Giants are going to be starting some undrafted free agents out there or just some guys who maybe have been in the system for a few weeks trying to stop. No, there a is there is an undrafted free agent who made the roster. I, I, I'm not sure. He may have been the only one this year. There's always a couple. Calvin Munson was a guy 
Wow. And yeah, he'll be, he'll be out there. Yeah. He probably well, didn't expect Good luck, Mr. Munson. He probably didn't expect to be active at all this season and he wears number 46. You know, I mean that's a gross number, man. Come on. Yeah, and <laughs> offensively, I mean they have they maybe they have one NFL pass catcher in, in Evan Ingram. The rest of the guys are cut. Sterling will be there. Sterling, well, Sterling Shepard's going to fly. Okay, Good so that's news. two. So that's two. But after that, I mean, you're looking at like Tavares King. Oh yeah. Uh, Tra- Roger oh, Travis Lewis. Rudolph. Travis undrafted. Rudolph hasn't been bad. He was undrafted. Travis Rudolph hasn't been bad. Like he might. Well, stick he hasn't around. done anything in the in the regular season. True. He had one good catch. True. In one game. Who yeah. Knew? But he did splash so in the in the preseason. Yeah. Absolutely. I need a very strong. Yeah. So team. he might stick around. But like for if you're the Giants, I mean, you have no talent on that offensive side of the ball, and you're depending on a guy like Orleans Darkwood to run for a hundred yards, which he did in Denver. But you need that to go right. You need your Fluke. receivers to play well. You need your <laughs> offensive line to play well. There's so much that needs to go right. To say nothing of the fact that Eli Manning has pretty much gone reverse Benjamin Button this year, and he's just been absolutely terrible, yeah. and he looks like he's probably done. A guy I'm worried about is Aaron Donald, man. I mean, that guy's a game wrecker. And when you're out west in Richburg, and that's probably, I'm imagining, that's where he'll be lining up, probably over the center a lot of the time. Well, he moves around. If I was the Rams, I'd line him up against Eric Flowers and just see how (laughs) that would be hilarious. Look, Aaron Donald is great. If if he could if he could show that he could do a speed rush at that you know sort of short thick frame he's got, that would just be madness. But I mean, no, really, they'll probably actually line him up all over the line and. He's probably going to have a day. Yeah, and you have all those new pieces on the offensive line. So if you shift Donald from DT to D-end back to the other D-end, you're going to be completely confusing that offensive line because they've got two and three new starters. So I, it's going to be – it'll probably be a closer game than it should be, but I think I, the Rams yeah. are just better right now. I just now. think it's going to be such a long day for the yeah, Giants it on is. both sides. And really, I think the most – you know, we could talk about this game, but, you know, considering the Giants are 1-6 and six and whatnot, I think the most topical conversation about the Giants is really more about the – the leadership and you know there's this Janoris Jenkins suspension and so it's the second cornerback to be suspended for just an odd reason people saying McAdoo's losing control of the locker room and I think the real debate is who is on a hotter seat and slash would they go together but basically is it Jerry Reese who's been here for a while now or is it McAdoo who's really only been here two seasons I think it's tough because because keep in mind McAdoo you know he he inherited not a great roster. I think it's I think it's very tough for in McAdoo's shoes right now. He's coming off a, a year where they went eleven and five. They had sky high expectations coming into the season, and now you find yourself at one and six. Players are gonna question themselves. They're gonna question the leadership of the team. They're gonna question coaching staff all the way up to the front office. So seeing these outbursts from players that know that they should be playing better and that the team should be playing better isn't very surprising. But you do have to wonder if McAdoo's losing the locker room. Even if both Reese and McAdoo should be gone this offseason, I think they're going to give McAdoo one more chance for next season. I think Jerry Reese might be gone, but the way that the Maras operate the team, it's not to go through these huge franchise-changing moves all in one offseason. Yeah, I'm going to take the other end on that. I think it's McAdoo, absolutely, because when you have Rodgers Cromartie getting suspended and Janoris Jenkins getting suspended and you have guys commenting through the media and all this and off the record that, they, that they're that they not happy with the coaching situation, you you have an issue, a clear issue in their locker room. And I won't be surprised if he does go, to be fair. Oh, yeah. No, I That's won't. the thing, though. I'm not sure how much public support there is against McAdoo. 
Okay. To be fair. Yeah. I, I don't think the players have spoken out and against him yeah, but, that much. But they haven't identified themselves either. So if they were willing to go out there, I think that would change things. But the way this roster was constructed, they had Super Bowl aspirations. I mean, you went and got Brandon Marshall. I mean, you made all the moves Lost. last offseason with uh, Damon Harrison and Olivier Vernon. And, I mean, if you even if you look at their schedule last year, they played a lot of bad teams. Like, they played the NFC North that was not Oh, it's a miracle good. they were 11-5. and five. Oh, yeah, and they didn't score 20. And they didn't blow a single team out. Yeah, and and they didn't score twenty points like from mid November on. So Up it's until, really I think the game against Denver. Yeah, and they yeah. really yeah Which that was the, no yeah the Giants literally went like fifteen weeks without scoring more than and they haven't oh, scored over thirty. It's crazy. Yeah, and so for them, I think the Reese uh, Jerry Reese survived Tom Coughlin. If you think about it that way, <laughs> so <laughs> he, I mean he he outlasted Tom Coughlin. Yeah. So. If he could outlast Tom Coughlin, I don't see why he wouldn't outlast Bob McAdoo. So I think McAdoo's on a bigger hot seat right now. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a valid point. I mean, I was just really just trying to play devil's advocate. It clearly is not a good look for Ben McAdoo. Nothing is good right now in New York Giant land. That's about all I can think to say about them. Why don't we move on to the final section of Fantasy the Sleeper section? Nailing sleeper picks is a surefire way to get your team a victory. Here are some players that fantasy owners are currently overlooking. It's almost sad that I have to say that Cowboys tight end Jason Witten is a sleeper pick this week. The surefire first ballot Hall of Famer has been his steady self in the passing game this year, despite all the malfunctions in this Cowboys offense. He's only being started in 64% of fantasy leagues, and he gets a fantastic matchup against a Chiefs defense that has failed to contain tight ends ever since Eric Berry ruptured his Achilles back in week one. With Ezekiel Elliott set to be in the lineup on Sunday, expect some passing lanes to open up for Dak Prescott so we can find the veteran safety blanket. Detroit, the Detroit Lions threat that you should be all over this week is Marvin Jones. Outside of Chris Hogan and Brandon Cooks of the New England Patriots, there isn't a receiver in football who has run more routes this year than the 27-year-old. Jones has quietly hauled in six balls in each of his last three games, and he will see coverage from a Packers defense that ranks 27th in opponent receptions per game. He's only starting in 55% of fantasy leagues, but his talent suggests he should be in everyone's lineup come Sunday. Finally, Jay Ajayi's departure has opened up a starting role for electric back Kenyon Drake in Miami. Drake hasn't seen much action at all this year, but he will get the first crack at securing the lead role in an Adam Gase-led offense that loves to utilize the running game. Drake is still owned in 50% of fantasy leagues, and with the potential for 20 touches against an Oakland defense that has, has failed to stop opposing tailbacks, Drake is a worthwhile addition to any fantasy lineup starved for production at the running back position. Jackson, thank you for the analysis all show long. It's been great. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm looking to go 5-4 and four in fantasy this week. We'll see. <laughs> Ironically, it's been a tough go for me in fantasy this year. I've had some bad injuries. But... Fantasy's just been a disaster, I feel like, for everybody. I mean, it always is. I mean, yeah. we, we were discussing this off the air. The all-injury team this year in fantasy oh, yeah. is Brutal. ridiculous. I urge everybody to go check Twitter somehow and find this. The all-injury team, it is truly an all-pro lineup. So, guys, it was a great show, but we're not done yet. We have our pick section. Really fun thing for us, and I'm just going to warn you guys, I am coming off of an 11-1 and performance last oh, week. Oh. So I'm, I'm, I'm hot. Let's get into it. The pressure's on. First, we have the NFC South is all playing each other this week. The Bucks are taking on the Saints in the Superdome. Saints. Who said Saints? Where, where are we going? All right, we're going to go like this. 
New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints. Jimmy? Uh, I'm actually going to go Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay? All right, I got to take the Saints in this one. We got Falcons at Panthers. Atlanta Falcons. Carolina. I want to pick the Panthers in that one. Man, I, I am just so bad at making these picks off the top of my head. Rams and Giants. Go ahead. Rams. Rams are the best team in the NFC right now. Give me the Rams. Yeah, I'm going to pick the Rams too. That's sad. Ravens at Tennessee. Tennessee. I'm going to go Tennessee as well. I like Tennessee in this one. DeMarco Murray coming back from that injury. Bengals at Jaguars. That's a good game. Give me that Jags D-line all day long. As long as the Jaguars keep the, the football away from Blake Bortles' general vicinity, they'll win. Yeah, the come Jacksonville. on. Jags, it's your time. Let's go. Jacksonville all day. Denver at Philadelphia. Hate to say it, Eagles. If you thought Trevor Simeon was bad, wait till you see Brock Osweiler. Eagles. Yeah, this could be ugly. I'm going to take Philly. Ah, speaking of ugly, we have the Colts taking on the Texans. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. Give me the Colts. Why not? I'll take the Colts and Jacoby Brissett. You know, I'll take Houston just because even though they lost to Sean, they just have much better players at all other positions. Redskins at Seattle. 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 Arizona is taking on the 49ers in California. Ugh, I mean, I guess, I guess Arizona. I'm going to go with the law of averages and take the 49ers. Yeah, this is, I mean, can you talk about 50-50? I'll go 49ers as well. Kansas City at Cowboys. Kansas City. Ezekiel Elliott's playing. I'll go with the Cowboys. Man, this is, this is really tough. Uh, I'll go with Kansas City. Raiders at Dolphins. I'll take the Raiders in this one. I like the Raiders by a lot. I want the Dolphins to get back on track. Devontae Parker, baby, let's go. Now, that's Sunday night football. Monday night football, Lions at Packers, NFC North. I'll take Detroit. I really don't like either team in this matchup, but I'll take Detroit. Yeah, I think you got to take Detroit. Has anyone even thought about the Packers since? No. All right. I haven't. Well, <laughs> that'll do it for the Week 9 edition. Looking forward to all those games this Sunday. Thank you guys for being with us. Matt Constantini, Jimmy Sullivan, Jackson Heil, Emmanuel Barbari in the booth, and I'm Tommy Aldridge signing off.